Welcome to the Resurrection People podcast with Preston Sharp, pastor of Sacrament Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and curator of The Art of Preaching. Each week, we look at three readings from the Bible, drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. Find more at theartofpreaching.substack.com. Welcome back to the Resurrection People podcast. Today, we're looking at Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 through 15. Quickly catching up on where we are in the story, the children of Israel have crossed the Red Sea by God's miraculous work. They are given a new title here. They're called for the first time the Congregation of Israel. And the author wants us to see that they've been through something. Something has happened to them through the sea crossing. Because of what they've walked through, they have a new identity. They're being shaped as the people of God. Yet quickly, forgetting this identity, they begin to grumble and complain. They get corporately hangry, and this hangriness causes them to question whether or not they were better off in slavery. At least in Egypt where they were, there were pots of meat sitting around. Sure, they were oppressed, they were not free, but they could eat whatever they wanted to. God tells Israel that he's going to provide for them. He will give them bread from heaven, enough food for each day. And he says he will test them to see if they follow his instructions. Now, when we hear about tests, it may bring up all kinds of emotions for us. We tend to think of religious tests in the same way that we think of tests in school, something that we can pass or fail and we're judged by. And when we're led by such thoughts, we develop a picture of a God who is manipulating, pulling puppet strings, like a boss playing weird mind games with their employees. But testing in the Old Testament is way more about shaping than it is about proving. A test is a trial that someone goes through that forms who they are. Whether they pass or fail is not the most important part of the test, and very, very often God's people fail. What matters is they are shaped through the test. If it helps, we might picture God saying, I am going to reveal something to them, to my people, about the kind of community I am creating in this moment. I am shaping them into the people who I desire them to be. So this dependence on God becomes a blueprint for the kind of people God is shaping, a kind of community that is centered on everyday trust. We rumor this story when we pray how Jesus taught us to pray, saying, give us this day our daily bread. The challenge for the new Christian, and even sometimes the not-so-new Christian, is being tempted to believe that the experience of God's rescue, when we're saved, when we're baptized, when we have a powerful experience with God, that experience of rescue that we walk through, that that means that everything will be blissful forever. This story often shows there is difficulty on the other side of rescue. The children of Israel have just walked through this incredible experience. God has saved them from Egypt and delivered them through the Red Sea. God parted a sea for them. The challenge for Israel is not forgetting that this thing happened, but the belief that after it happened, everything should just be perfect, right? And if they experience difficulty, maybe that means this thing wasn't so great in the first place. God's people tend to become disillusioned, grumble, and complain after God does something amazing. For the Christian, Passover is seen as a reflection of Christ's death. 
the perfect sacrifice. His blood marks who we are. The crossing of the Red Sea is a reflection of Christ's resurrection. Jesus has crossed and conquered the great sea of death itself. Then we see the children of Israel headed to the promised land, which serves as a reflection of God's new world that we all hope and long for. So Christians live in this in-between time, this wilderness between rescue and promise. In the wilderness, we live in this tension between believing that we, what we know to be true and realizing that we don't yet see it in fullness. Some theologians call this the already not yet, that we have already been rescued through Christ's death and resurrection. It's done. It's completed. We have been saved. We are made new. And yet we don't see that in fullness yet. We are often distracted in our lives, not by overt attacks of the enemy, but by everyday stuff. One of the words often used for this in the church is spiritual warfare, which is a big church word but, or, or phrase, but uh, you may have heard it before. Sometimes big world-altering events occur that jolt us off course, but that's not what most often distracts us. Usually it's when we have real, legitimate, everyday needs in our lives and we turn to other things to meet those needs that we wander from God's best for us. C.S. Lewis wrote this marvelous little book years ago de- depicting a correspondence between a demon named Screwtape who is working on the front lines and, and his superior officer, Wormwood. And in one chapter, um, Screwtape tells the story of what he calls a patient sound atheist who would read in the British Museum. Screwtape says that he notices that the man's thoughts begin to drift, quote, the wrong way. Presumably, this man starts thinking about the things of God. And the demon says that it's really what he found is most, most easy to get this guy off track or get him to stop thinking about God was to suggest that it was just about time he had some lunch. <laughs> Once he can get him off track with lunch, then he said it's, it's quite easy to keep his mind off of it for some time. It's the everyday things of life. Our feelings of hunger, a sense of loneliness or neglect, or just the daily news that can so often knock us off kilter. When our urges are not met, we kick into a little bit of a fight or flight response. Those who specialize in addiction recovery have created this acronym HALT, H-A-L-T, recognizing that recovering addicts are in the most vulnerable positions for relapse when they are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. But this is not just true for addicts. All of us are guided by our urges. Often it is our everyday needs that cause us to lack trust. We turn our attention to our fears about those needs and how we might get them met most quickly. When we're distracted by our own needs, wants, and desires without trusting God, It causes us to look for ways that we can meet our own needs on our own. Not only can this distract us from our worship of God, it also limits us from seeing God's heart for others. Now, as the children of Israel get angry, we might think about there's a lot in our world to be legitimately, righteously angry about. But that anger can so often be misplaced. 
I once saw a really interesting tweet from a local news director in Colorado who had received a long profanity-laced voicemail attacking the station because they were not airing 60 Minutes on Sunday. The voicemail eventually cut the man off and he called back to yell some more. So it was a second message that he left. And at the end of the second message, his wife can be heard in the background saying, Honey, it's Saturday. 60 Minutes is on tomorrow. Then he hangs up. Well, this is funny, but it's also sad because so many people in our world today are feeling significant tension in their lives and it just comes out in the wrong places. We are all indeed fighting a battle. Notice the Israelites do not complain directly about God. They complain about their leaders, Moses and Aaron. Why? Because that's easier. Moses and Aaron must have missed it along the way. They must have blown it. They must not really be hearing God. And in complaining about them, the people begin to muddy the waters of what actually happened at the sea crossing. Instead of a story of how God delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians, their memory now becomes a story of how Moses brought them out in the desert to starve. It matters how we tell the stories of our struggle. One of the great challenges is to learn to remember rightly We need to learn to own what has happened to us and what we have done. We also need to remember what we have been through and God's blessings on our lives. So we can fully realize the bad stuff, the stuff that we have done and the stuff that's happened to us. We don't need to gloss any of that away. Not all of life is the experience of victory. Life includes much pain and loss. But also, we can own the good stuff in our lives. God has brought us through so much. Even if we struggle to remember things for which to be thankful, we have the ultimate thanksgiving as Christians. For the redemption of the world, for grace, for the hope of a world made right. When we learn to tell our story rightly, to both grieve and to give thanks, we are more clear-eyed to see where God is at work in our midst. Okay, so God gives his people this manna, this strange bread-like thing that comes from the sky. It falls like snow. The word manna comes from the Hebrew words for what is it? (laughs) There's such beauty here. God gives them what they need and they aren't even sure what it is other than it sustains them. They don't know how God is sustaining them, but he is sustaining them. Not only does God give manna, he also gives quail. So there is bread in the morning and meat in the evening. But notice he doesn't give them all that they need at once. It is implied here that manna itself is actually something that is only produced day by day. Something about the nature of God's provision is it is given day to day. Of course, the people of Israel do what humans would instinctively do. They attempt to hoard a little bit each day for a time when the supply might run out. They're concerned about their own security in this horrible environment. And who could blame them, honestly? Notice God doesn't reprimand them for their hoarding, but the food they store does go rotten. God very specifically tells them they cannot rely on their own ability to save, to plan, or to protect themselves. They have to be fully reliant on him. This is the everyday posture of the Christian fully dependent on God for what we need today. 
In fact, this is why the Sabbath principle was established. There is one day where God's people traditionally do not work, trusting God doesn't need me to run the world. He will be with us. He will be faithful. Thanks for listening to the Resurrection People podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review to help us get the word out. You can hear full sermons at sacramentchurch.com and find out more at theartofpreaching.substack.com.